I've been using HelloFresh for a while now, and let me tell you, if it was a staple in my kitchen before, it's a must-have nowadays. If you haven't yet, you've got to check out America's number one meal kit. Right now, get 12 free meals, including free shipping, when you go to HelloFresh.com FilmCast12 and use code FilmCast12. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I am David Chen, and I wish they named real countries after body parts. Joining me today is Devendra Hardwar. Am I the baddest mofo low down around this town? <laughs> and also, no, Jeff- no, 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 no. Where, where? Come on, somebody has to do the show enough. Otherwise, we can't move on. <laughs> show enough, Devendra. There we go. Show enough, Jeff Kanata. Babies, monkeys, and dragons, oh my! And joining us today is a film critic over at SlashFilm.com. Welcome back, Huai Chenbui. I liked it better when her name was Cora. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us, I love us, it. HT. I really like yeah, that one. That was a good oh, one. Yeah. I should yeah. become a stand-up comedian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> film critic and stand-up comedian over at SlashFilm.com. Thanks for joining us today, of course. Those catchphrases were related to our main review of today, which is Raya and the Last Dragon, which is streaming right now on Disney Plus. I think as part of their premiere package, like you have to pay sure. an extra thirty dollars to yes. rent the premiere uh, access. Yeah. Premier yeah, access. The Mickey Mouse jab to your wallet. That's we have right. many names for this. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you and think you have to spend an extra thirty dollars? <laughs> Well, do. I mean, some of us may have received a screener for this movie, you yeah. know. Um, but you know, others may not have. That's some of us may have been rejected for screeners. For this <laughs> it's true. It's so true. Yeah. Some of us may have asked to David Chen, "Can I borrow your screener?" and been told, yeah. "No, you can't," because that would no, be. I also have an email from Mickey M. Mouse. Uh, saying no, <laughs> no screener. What's for the you. M stand for? Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> Mickey Mouse Mouse. Mickey maybe? Martha. Yes, Mickey Martha Mouse. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll be reviewing Ra- Ryan the Last Dragon. Uh, we'll also got uh, bring you some what we've been watching and discuss some Oscar nominations for you. You can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. All right, folks. This morning, the Oscar nominations were announced. And I want to take some time to just talk about them a little bit. Overall, I got to say, these are some pretty good movies. These are some pretty not good bad. movies. Not bad. Uh, yeah. Not a bad uh, take in terms of Does movies. Does it feel a little bit like the Oscars are less than, though? Just because we haven't seen a movie in theaters in a year? I don't know. <laughs> I, I understand. I understand uh, the impulse behind that, Jeff. And I think... I think you are right to some degree. I, I would, here's my reaction to that. I would say a couple things. First of all, I think in general there's been a kind of bifurcation going on between what does well at the Oscars and what does well at the box office anyway, right? So sure. the biggest yeah. movies of the year at the box office in general over the past, like let's say, decade have not been the movies nominated for Best Picture, which is kind of a bummer. And also yeah. why the Oscars uh, ratings have dropped pretty much year on year uh, for a while now uh, is because most of the movies that are listed here, a lot of people just have not seen these movies. So best picture, 
You got The Father. By the way, Davindra, this is the movie I was going to suggest we review in a couple weeks. The Father. I am, it, I am intrigued now. I've heard it's I've excellent. I've not heard anything about this. I've yeah. heard it is excellent. So maybe we'll do that. I just uh, got a screener for that one. Excellent. Actually. Did you really? Real. Yeah, thanks to SAG. Oh, excellent. Okay, well, there you go. See? There see, you Jeff, go. You're getting screeners now. You're you're a Mr. Yeah. Manager now. You're the how captain much, wait, now. Just curious, how much does The Father cost to stream? Um, Less than $30? $30? Is it $30? I think it's, I think it's closer to 20 is my guess. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess I I guess I did still end up on top on this one. Yeah. So mm -hmm. no, thanks for pointing that out. Uh, okay, other best picture nominees: Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of Chicago Seven. Now, many of those movies are awesome. Are arguably all of them are awesome, but they're also not necessarily movies that a lot of people have seen. And if they had been released in theaters, I doubt they would have, like, any of them would have cracked sure. $100 million, you know? But listen, listen, the movies are still big. It's it's the screens that got smaller. Indeed. <laughs> it's true. It is very true. Maybe uh, maybe Judas, think... a, a Judas and the Black Messiah could have had, like, box office that would, potential, that would I think. Have rocked, I think that could yeah. have done well. Yeah. Um, here's, a weird, yeah. here's a weird hypothetical for all of you. Yeah. If there had been no COVID and we had been, you know, movies had been released, I think most of the movies that were delayed or have been delayed are those big budget tentpole type films right. that are, you know, they wanted to make a lot of money in, in the movie theaters. But even having said that, do you think the same movies are nominated for best picture in the hypothetical world hmm. where the normal release schedule for 2020 had happened? I mean, I, James Bond had a shot, right? Like <laughs> Carrie Fukunaga. Mm, I, I don't it was think released so. in theaters yeah. and it's got a virtually nothing. Yes, the that's true. That's true. I don't think so. Yeah, I, I think. I just that... wonder. I wonder if there are movies that. I mean, I think a couple of these, like, like you know, I think Mank, for example, was never going to come out in theaters, or maybe it would have had a limited run just for eligibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think maybe because everything was streaming, there are things perhaps that made it that wouldn't mm -hmm. have. Is that is that a legitimate? Here is my opinion Conclusion? on the first of all, in terms of Mank, that's a black and white movie about the making of Citizen Kane, which I think would have been nominated regardless. So like I don't think yeah. I don't think right. if we had David Fincher. Yeah. And plus yeah. directed by David Fincher. I think if ten you know, Tenet had been out in theaters in July instead of August, like it still would have been nominated. Mank would still would have been nominated. I, I think, think what that, I'm, I think what I'm trying to say is that it w would there have been more of a stigma attached to movies that that weren't actual theatrical releases if there had been theatrical releases i don't think so like i i, I doubt it but here's what i would mm -hmm. say i think that the best picture field would probably be pretty untouched is my mm -hmm. guess uh however you might see a bunch of these big budget movies that didn't get released uh take some nominations in some of these uh sort of below the line categories like visual yeah. effects or film sure. editing or sound editing you know it's yeah. it's these smaller films that are going to thrive in those categories because you don't have movies like black widow coming out in theaters right right um that's kind of my assessment like uh, i guess i'm struggling to think of like what other big movies were pushed that might have been best picture and i i can't i just don't think fast 9 was going to be nominated for best picture <laughs> You know I, mean? no, I think that's really think undervaluing right. Dune. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, Ooh, that's a good one. Dune. That is a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, anything else that we think might have made the list? You know. Mm. But basically, I, I think overall, Jeff, people want to put an asterisk next to this year's list, and 
I think it's somewhat justified, but also like we shouldn't necessarily um, undersell the accomplishments of the films that have been nominated. This of course year. not. You know no, I, mean? I, yeah. I don't intend to do that. I'm just saying as a fan of the process, I'm, I'm curious in this hypothetical world that never will be and never yeah. was, uh, if there had, would have been any difference if, and I think you bring, make a persuasive argument. Um, but also it, it feels to me like a celebration of the cinema experience. The Oscars to me have always been yeah. because I am old enough to have been, you know, stuck in my ways that movies are in a movie theater. <laughs> and I don't, I think there's a generation that, you know, this doesn't care as much. And perhaps to me, it, it feels a little asterisky when it perhaps doesn't deserve it. Let me throw a few other ones out there. Let me throw a few other ones that might complicate what even what I said. HT, I think Dune is a great mention. Um, Eternals is going to come out in November 2020. I'm just really curious what would have happened there if if that movie had come out and Nomadland had come out. You know, like I'm I'm curious about that one. Um, I'm curious about like if movies like First Cow, which is a great film had had like a really successful run at the box office like whether that might have improved a movie yeah. like first cow's chances and then the only other one i'm looking like over all these movies that might have been released in 2020 the only other one i guess ones right that i feel like huh maybe maybe uh would be uh in the heights the john chu right. musical yeah. that's coming out this summer and also the French Dispatch, the uh, um, yeah. uh, Wes Anderson Wes movie Anderson. that was supposed to come out in July of 2020. Was West Side so, yeah. Story supposed to be 2022, or we? Did I think that delayed? was originally like Christmas of uh, mm. of 2020 uh, as well. So Spielberg doing West Side Story feels like yeah, right. That would have yeah, that's also also a potential. So so yeah, yeah you're right. Like a an art house one, but the Green yeah. Knight was also supposed to be a, a release from 824. Oh, mm. They really they really held that until. They they could possibly put it in theaters, right? Yep. Finally. And I, I mean, I think we all know Mission Impossible Seven. No, I'm just joking. That that movie was never going to come out in 2020. Um, no. But but yeah. So Jeff, there's a I, I would say there's a handful of movies that maybe at the mm -hmm. edges, if they've been released in 2020, they might have uh, had a chance at contending on this list. But I'm not like, oh, it would have been a whole different set of movies. You know what I mean? Like that's not how yeah. I, I feel about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. So. I, was, I was just more more even thinking not just that other movies would have made the list, but that it would have. I guess, I guess it doesn't make much sense when I'm asking, but it it, <laughs> it felt like to me like perhaps there was this these streamed films that would have. I think maybe the Academy would not have mm -hmm. uh, awarded as highly if there were non-streamed films. Everything's I, a streamed it, film. There, there are probably a couple ways you could flip this too. I wonder if like Mank is the most nostalgic movie I've seen, you know, about the nostalgia of Hollywood and movie yeah. making. And I wonder if it would have like swept up so many goddamn nominations, you know, if, if there were other bigger competing movies, I don't know. Well, nothing the know, Academy loves more had... than movies about movies, right? Yeah. 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 And last year we had, I mean, Netflix really goes hard with its contenders yeah. as we saw last year with the Irishman getting, I think also 10 nominations and coming away with no awards, but they really, uh, invest in their campaigns for their movies yeah they really they've spent like hundreds of millions of dollars and they have <laughs> not yet come away with the prize yet please like I, us. I don't yeah. think this man has a chance this year but we'll see i'm i'm skeptical whether it's going to win but you know then again the artist won a few years ago so who knows um 
so yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, Jeff. Like in in an environment in which Mank might not have had a, as a robust theatrical release as some other films, like Trial of Chicago Seven was supposed to come out in theaters, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in, in a in a year in a year where like it was not as robust theatrically, like how would Mank have done? I think it still would have done, been on the list, but maybe yeah, there'd be other movies right. on the list. You know, we'll we'll never yeah. know. But I, I I hear what you're saying, and it's been a weird year. It's been a weird year. So <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, on this list of nominees, there are uh, just a lot of great movies, right? Uh, and some really huge milestones. Uh, apparently, this is the first time that an Asian American actor has ever been nominated for Best Actor in the history of the Oscars. That's insane to me. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's 2021. Huge. We're still doing these like very, very like. <laughs> This is not a small group of folks. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah. yeah. Steven Yun uh, in Minari. And uh, also great to see Riz Ahmed in that character in that uh, category for Sound of Metal, as well as Chadwick Boseman doing, uh, getting a posthumous nomination for his work in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I think if um, you had asked me, I would have guessed, guessed that someone from Crouching Tiger had been nominated. Mm. But... Yeah. That movie had a ton of nominations yeah. that year, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, it did, and it won Best yeah. Picture. Am I am I am I right about that? I think so. Did it win Best Picture? So. Um, so yeah, uh, it's it's wild that it's taken this long. Yeah. Um, but it's nice to see. Speaking of like milestones, uh, Chloe Zhao, the wor- first woman of color ever nominated for Best Director, and also this is the first year in which there have been two women. Uh, competing in the best director category, uh, Emerald also, Fennel. That feels like it should have come before. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah. yeah, Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman, um, and Chloe Zhao, uh, Lee Isaac Chung also picking up a best director nomination for Minari, and uh, David, along with David Fincher for Mank, and Thomas Vinterberg for another round. Thomas Vinterberg, kind of the surprise director of uh, foreign <laughs> film this year. Uh, for uh-huh. another round, I don't think that movie really has any chance. Uh, it, it wasn't I, even nominated. I, I do for... wonder because I remember you were a little lukewarm on another round, Dave. And all I see as people talk about this movie is like, award, award, give this movie everything. I wonder if this will be kind of a surprise this year. Even hmm. I don't know. I don't think there's no chance, dude. There's no chance. There's, I mean, no, I'm the... not saying best picture, but I mean, I mean, other, it'll take away you know, the foreign things. language. Yes, of international. Yeah. Yes, yeah. there's no sure. chance yeah. it's going to win best director. There's no chance. Yeah. Um, no matter yeah. who wins best director. Emerald Fennel still wins best name. I don't disagree. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree. That's a um, great name. Reminds Delicious me of uh, the yeah. Thomas Vinter reminds me of last year. Pavel Pavlikowski uh, was nominated for best director uh-huh, for uh-huh. Uh, Cold War. <laughs> and uh, to prove they watch subtitled movies, that's why they do this. Yeah. Yeah. Was it uh, was it last year? Maybe it was a couple of years. In the last couple that, of years. That was a couple um, of years. Yeah. Yeah. But that was an awesome movie, by the way. Cold War. Um, oh, you can man. stream it on Amazon Prime. Uh, what else in these categories? Uh, oh yeah. Um, so you guys see, I have like these, I have these show notes, right? Uh, I've written some of my observations about these (laughs) nominations and I've written quote, I guess no one directed Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, because (laughs) there was no best existence. It got tons of nominations, but it did not get nominated for best director, which is weird. I guess no one directed the black led movies Mm -hmm. that were also highly nominated that year either because there were no black directors for Virginia King, Shaka King. Yeah. uh, No, nothing for Spike Lee, of course. 
Also, yeah. how is Daniel Kaluuya a supporting actor in that movie? That's well, that, a, that was my next observation. Is I guess there was yeah. no main actor in Judas and the Black Messiah. <laughs> or or did they like just say are they both for supporting? Yes, it's Daniel Kaluuya yeah. and Lakeith Stanfield yeah. both for supporting actor. They're supporting each other. They're it's supporting each a, other. It's, it's, it's a mutual support. support. And that's the main yeah. <laughs> main lead actor. I do <laughs> wonder if like that's a thing where that's kind of what they push for because not to like uh, give one actor more more leverage than another because Lakeith Stanfield is in more of the movie than Daniel Kuya. The entire movie is through his perspective. Like it's hard to make the decision who is the lead in that movie, right? Uh, Such an arbitrary distinction in yes, any way. It is. It is. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um, and, but it was nice to see Judas and the Black Messiah, a movie we all liked uh, that picked up a bunch of nominations. Uh, I am... I guess I'm curious, do you guys have like one that you're really rooting for? You know, is there is there a category on here that you're like, man, I, re- I really hope that movie uh, wins in whatever category? I mean, Sound of Metal. Sound of Metal deserves as much as it yeah, can. Yeah, we all love that movie. We all love, love that, that movie. movie. I'm really excited yeah. about Minari personally, you know. I yeah, um, yeah. hope Steven Yeun gets some recognition. Like, Steven Yeun winning would be huge. I don't... Mm-hmm. Think he's? I don't think he's like the odds-on favorite to win. I think Riz Ahmed's probably gonna win. Yeah, but yeah. it would just be really like nice to see Stephen Yeun win. Has not been doing this for very long. Like just to think, like this guy's <laughs> career has skyrocketed so like so much within the past what five to seven years. Like it hasn't been that long, but well, well is, deserved. It's amazing to see. Yeah. Well deserved. That's how I feel about Paul Racy too, because oh, I, I think man. Daniel Kaluuya really deserves the Oscar. I, yeah. I I'd give it to Daniel Kaluuya. Like yeah. that's a thunderous performance agree i love that paul racy's in the mix there dude that dude yeah. that, the kind of performance he gives like what he does to that movie and and how his presence shifts mm-hmm. the feel of that movie is it's it's i'm glad it's recognized i think it's, it's such great a low-key performance too and one that's yeah. not recognized by the oscars ever so it's right. it's even more of a pleasant surprise that it came totally. in uh, i'm just i'm amazed that there's like we have two asian directors competing in the best director category i've never seen this is the first time it's ever happened in my lifetime and it's just like asians in the best actor category too yes it's just like uh, wow that's amazing yeah amazing um so i'm very excited about that and i hope don't worry there's still anthony hopkins in there guys don't worry (laughs) (laughs) finally will someone recognize the skills of anthony hopkins please please get an old british person in there please Um, disappointment, by the way, was uh, the Five Bloods not really mm-hmm. landing that many not- like Delroy they Lindo. Don't really, really give Spike Lee much, right? So no Spike Lee, no Delroy Lindo. The no Delroy Lindo is a real disappointment. Yeah, that hurt. Um, but they, it did get a nomination for best original score uh, for Terrence Blanchard. Uh, so and he did some great work for that film. So I'm glad that it was recognized to some degree. Um, but uh, HT, any categories in here that you're uh, pretty psyched about, or anything you're looking forward to? Oh well, I'm excited for. I mean, I I don't I don't think I listened to your episode about Nomadland, so I, but I heard that you guys had mixed feelings on it. But um, I am really rooting for a Nomadland yeah. sweep because mm-hmm. I adore mm-hmm. that movie. I think it's so stirring. I think it's so exquisite. Yeah. And um, I'm I was really pleasantly surprised to see so many nominations for uh, Sound of Metal too, because I thought it was more of an underdog in this fight, and it came in with the same amount of nominations as Nomadland. Yeah. Uh, so. I'm really rooting for uh, Riz Ahmed to win Best Actor. Um, I kind of have the feeling that the Oscars will uh, award Chadwick Boseman for the sort of cultural importance of his Mm -hmm. posthumous uh, nomination. 
but um, I really, I really adore Riz Ahmed's performance yes. in Metal. He's incredible. I am, I am on Team HT for for Nomadland. By the way, I, uh, I love that movie. Yep, beautiful. Yeah. Jeff, have you seen uh, Minari yet? I'm, ho- I'm hoping you have a chance to check. I'm really curious, like what you think of the two movies, like how you compare them and stuff, because um, I do think they have a lot in common. You know, they're both about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they're both directed by Asian people, and they're both about kind of America in different ways. So, yeah, um, yeah. I hope you have a chance to check it out sometime. I'm, I I'm would really love curious. to. I'll be, I'll be totally honest with you. Yeah, uh, Dave. Tell me, be totally uh, honest. <laughs> I rented Minari. <laughs> <laughs> this 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 story has a sad ending. I know for yeah. twenty dollars. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, I found out <laughs> I needed to have surgery the next day, <laughs> and I. Uh, did not watch that movie, and now I refuse to pay another twenty dollars to see it. So when it, whenever it arrives on a platform that I don't have to pay twenty dollars, I will. Uh, and it's more about me than the movie. That's about me going. I'm not gonna redo that. Um, Is this so. Minari but, streaming on Hulu? No, no, no. Just no. Um, That's yeah. a lie. Nice try, <laughs> HD. Um, but when you rent something, don't you get it for thirty days? Has it been Did thirty days play? since you rented yeah. it already? Yeah. Uh, I thought it was start it within 48 hours or watch it within 48 hours or something like that. No, no. You have it for 30 days. Yes. You must – when you start watching it, you have 48 hours to complete it. Mm. So it's very possible – basically what you're saying is it's possible the Minari screener is still sitting unused in your digital I'm going to check that out. I'm going to check that out. (laughs) Wow. I just, I just saved you twenty dollars. Well, on, maybe well, you actually, did not save me twenty dollars. I just saved I you twenty dollars. You were not going to spend anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. Uh, overall, though, like when I look, you know, sometimes we see a set of nominations and we're like, "This is infuriating," but this is like, "Hey, pretty, pretty good." Uh, it's pretty good. Pretty good set of movies, guys. Pretty I, good I set don't of movies. know how we can top the Parasite surprise. Yeah, like, I don't. Nothing can top that. Ever. Yeah, is there really. a movie that would win this year that you'd be like stunned by? I mean, I guess like The Father because I think no one I know has seen <laughs> that movie. <laughs> I also got to say, like, I would be. Pr- uh, I I think if Promising Young Woman pulled it off, I'd be like, that's incredible, right? Like, it would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I just think it would be like, wow, that that is an upset, but not that I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't deserve to win but i'm just saying it's not yeah, the kind surprising. of movie that yeah. has won in the past and so i'm like okay that would, I would be... be i would be surprised if judas and the black messiah won best picture to be honest yeah that's kind of the one i i would like to see cuz although i love sand metal too yeah i think there... sand metal should win i hope it mm-hmm. wins yeah i mean that's that's the one i'm i'm really rooting for is sound of metal yeah. um i'm was bummed that darius martyr did not receive a nomination for um for best directing for Sound of Metal. Yeah. That was a bummer. It's, it stinks, but man, like I do wonder, like given how much love that movie got and how long like he he worked on it, like that the, the process of making that movie was just a decades-long thing for him, right? Yeah. So, he did get amazing. nominated for Best Original Screenplay. And so I'm hoping uh, nice. Darius yeah. Martyr, Abraham, Abraham Martyr, and Derek C. and France got nominated for Sound of Metal Best Original mm-hmm. Screenplay. Hoping they take that one home. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I am, that's the, that's the one I'm really rooting for, but is, is there a movie you guys don't want to win anything? Like, what do you, what do you like cursing? I, I don't want to hurt. I know not your answer anything. to Ventra. Yeah. I'm not even going to say <laughs> not, not no. cursing anything, uh, but, uh, and I don't want to upset Jeff Kanata, but like, uh, to me, trial of Chicago seven would be, I mean, oh, I, I agree I, with you. Dave. Yeah. Trial of Chicago seven or Mank, I think would just be like, 
Yeah. I, my reaction if those movies won would be those movies won because they kind of not because they are the best films, but because they kind of For pull sure. on the um they are of the topic and of the type of film that typically win and are like calibrated to win with the Academy. That's kind of my reaction. Mank, I at least appreciate the craft of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the performances are great in a way that they're not as showboaty as the Child of the Chicago 7 performances mm-hmm. are. And I... I really, I, I think it's hilarious that Sasha Baron Cohen got nominated for his performance in Trial of the Ch- Chicago 7, which is a bad performance, yes. especially compared to what we see in Borat's subsequent movie film. Like, that was, <laughs> I mean, that's a Put funny Borat thing to Borat in Trial of the Chicago <laughs> 7. That would have been better. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I actually think so. I think he gets yeah. a better performance than Borat. But um, yeah, everyone is just acting with a capital A so much in Trial. And um, I, I just, it just feels so typical that. Yeah, Academy wouldn't nominate it. Uh, best actress I think in it support. Has, oh, sorry, go I think ahead. It has about zero chance to win anything. Personally, I, I think it has a chance. I think it, it really does. It I think Mank has yeah. a chance, but I don't think Trial of Chicago mm. Seven has a chance. You you are right. I think like seeing who was nominated for best director and comparing that to who won, who is nominated for best picture is like pretty instructive in general. Uh-huh. Like yeah. I feel like one of the best picture ones that. The person who who direct like wins best picture will have been nominated for best director. Mm-hmm. Um, it tends to be the case. It's fairly Guys. rare for there to be a split like that. It has happened, but it's fairly I rare. Have a worse situation, uh, worst case situation <laughs> hypothesis. And, and this that? is actually one that was put forward by Jacob on Slash Film Daily earlier yeah. today, so I can't take full credit for it. But um, the in the best supporting actor category, uh, we have Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kulia, both uh, tremendous performances from Judas and the Black Messiah. What if they split the vote yep. uh, because of being from the same movie? Mm-hmm. Paul Racy, incredible, goes to under the radar and <laughs> ends up it ends up going to Sasha Baron Cohen. For the trial scholar. Well, you're, 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 you're discounting Leslie Odom Jr., who yeah. is very yes. good. <laughs> also, Leslie Odom Jr., very good, but also more of a low-key movie, yeah. One yeah. Night in Miami, one that's yeah. kind, of, kind of gone on the radar. I cannot see and, that doing anything. I mean, that I mean Sasha Baron Cohen did amazing in Borat. His performance in Trial of Chicago 7 is by far the worst performance out of that category, right? In my opinion. Yes. Um, so that would be a disappointment. I will say that uh, the best actress in a supporting role, um, the one that I would love to see is Yoon Ye Jung, who is, yes. uh, was the grandmother in Minari. That would be incredible oh, to uh, see her when she's 73 years old and it'd just be like, wow, amazing to see. Mm-hmm. You know, a respected Asian elder win in that sure. uh, in that category, and I would be pretty disappointed if Glenn Close won for Hillbilly uh, Elegy. How I think, oh, Glenn yeah. Close? Did you see, <laughs> how, did you see like how unattractive she, how? she was willing to be? Oh well, yeah, you're right. That I mean, that's it's the uh, Oscar formula, the the uh, linear relationship between more unattractive and higher ca- uh, chance of winning Oscars, right? Yes, yes. Um, but also, a, Glenn a, Close has like a uh, instant like handicap; like she is immediately pushed ahead. Yeah, everybody, no matter how exactly. bad the movie is, exactly. So. But overall, yeah. not a bad set of nominations. Good job, Academy. You didn't do something extremely horrible this year. Well done. Well done. If, you, if somebody yet, had yet. told you that that <laughs> the woman playing Borat's daughter in the Borat sequel was going to be nominated for an Academy Award at the beginning of 2020. I would have Did said, have... Extre- well, at the beginning of 2020, you're right. I would have right. been yes. pretty yes. sure. At the end of 2020, I'm like, that's extremely well deserved. After right. seeing right. it, no, I I'm like, the beginning of everything. Yeah. 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 No, but fair, fair in enough. February 2020, when we're all like, 
And by out, the way, you know, this thing called coronavirus is going to happen. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm using. If I have a time machine, I'm going back to tell you about this Borat thing. Good use of the time machine, Jeff. Good use. Anyway, those are some of our th- some of our thoughts on the Academy Award nominations this year. Hey, everyone. I'm a tech guy, and I've spent a bunch of my career just charting how everything is getting smarter, from our phones to our cars to our TVs. And if you're a cat owner like me, I'm about to rock your world. It turns out litter is getting smarter, too. I'm talking about pretty litter. It's the most advanced litter I've ever seen. It changes colors to help you detect signs of early potential illness from your cat, including things like urinary tract infections and kidney issues. And uh, something I learned pretty quickly is that cats can get urinary tract infections pretty often. So it's good to keep track of those things. It's also really easy to clean up because Pretty Litter uses ultra-absorbent crystals to trap odor, and uh, it lasts up to a month. And this is so much better than the clay litter I used to use, where you had to scoop out something pretty much every day. With Pretty Litter, you just have to get a bit of poop out, and then you just kind of shove it around for a bit. Another bonus, Pretty Litter is safer for your cat and pretty much the entire household. It doesn't have the irritants that can really aggravate you from clay litters. Um, Its super light crystal base is not very dusty at all, and it really reduces mess. Best of all, Pretty Litter arrives at my door safely every month in a small lightweight bag. That is so much better than dragging a giant jug of clay litter back from the store. Shipping is free, and I really never have to worry about storing those huge containers. So I think your cat deserves the best. Your cat deserves the world's smartest kitty litter. Do what I did and make the switch to Pretty Litter today by visiting prettylitter.com and use promo code FILMCAST for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code FILMCAST for 20% off. prettylitter.com, promo code FILMCAST. All right, folks, let's get to what we have been watching. So uh, I will begin and talk about a couple things. And I'll start by mentioning that if you want to share with us stuff that you want us to watch, just use the hashtag slash tag on Twitter. uh, And uh, we will investigate that and check out uh, your advice and probably take your advice. Again, that's hashtag and then the word slash tag if you want to suggest things for us to watch. And, of course, if you're out there, you're listening, you want to see what other people are recommending, hashtag slash tag. Okay. So, Search Party, we've been talking about it for the last 18 weeks, I think, on this podcast or what we've been watching. (laughs) Um, This was the week that I finally decided to start watching it. Yes. Congratulations for introducing it into your life. Welcome. Welcome to the club, Dave. Uh, This is a show that's streaming on HBO Max. Again, it's Search Party. And uh, my bubble mate, Carter, is addicted to the show now. Um, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. We literally, she said, Hey, David, when are you done podcasting on Monday night? And I told her, and she's like, Okay, we're watching, my fix. We're, we're watching yeah. more Search Party after you're done podcasting. So, literally, after I finished recording, we're going to watch more. <laughs> we got eight episodes into season one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's what's great about the show is every episode, so this originally aired on TBS, every episode is 22 minutes for the first few seasons. Yeah. Which is just like, oh, this is Blows so... Delicious. It's just yeah. so... Like, you could watch a, a whole season in a day, like less than a day. Half Here's a day. the problem like with that, a king. Yeah. Here's the yeah. problem <laughs> is that you're going to get to the end and you're going to be like, I need more of that. I need it in my veins. Where is yeah. it? Yeah. 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 Um, so, Search Party. Uh, it's enjoyable. It's funny. Uh, but it also has people in it. It's populated almost entirely by people that are reprehensible. Oh, yeah. And there's no the, one. The annoying hipsters. You know, <laughs> it's it's a, spe- a very specific type of person I try to avoid in New York because this show is all about uh, New York stereotypes 
of uh, Williamsburg hipsters, right? That is the entire show. But now, a year away from New York, I miss it. I miss my hipsters. I miss them so much. <laughs> they're doing. I think they're doing great, Devendra. I was out. I don't know. In I miss them. The I, I wanna. I wanna go back well, to like a coffee shop and see them like get angry about stupid things. It's so it was. Nice. It was super windy, and this girl was wearing a crop top, and it was oh, like man. thirty degrees, and I was like, "What is happening here?" <laughs> more. Yeah, still, still more uh, clothing on her top than on her face. Over, mm-hmm. you know, no, no, mm-hmm. no mask. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Uh, no, she had a mask, but she had a crop top on too, good. which was hilarious. <laughs> well, the good thing, Dave, is that this show knows these people are horrible, mm-hmm. and it will punish them. Okay. Do not, yep. do not, All right. do not yep. fear about that. All right. All right. I'm looking forward to bad people getting their just desserts. Um, but it's it's really very funny like uh, is what i would say that's the thing keeping me going i don't really care about the mystery of what's going on with the person they're looking for or anything like that but i'm enjoying how it captures a lot of the painful awkwardness within these interactions that people have i I Um, really let's report back when you're in season two because three and four because dude dude there's so much ahead of you it's great awesome awesome all right cool well uh that's search party season one i've been checking it out uh, I also attempted to watch a movie called Cherry. Have you guys heard of this movie? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. I will be watching it at some point because of uh, the abjectly terrible reviews. This is the... This uh, okay, yeah. And let me just say, uh, infuriating is not the right word, but there's definitely this thing where when I suggest movies that get terrible reviews, you know, Devinger's like, fuck that. But when <laughs> it's a movie that's Devinger's idea, all of a sudden he's all about it. Um, this movie, Cherry... Like, I seem to recall a lot of resistance to Gods of Egypt, guys. But, you know. Uh, yeah. Was that was that not was it directed by, a, you know, a team who directed the biggest blockbusters <laughs> we've ever seen successfully? Like, they, they did the impossible with the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Surely they could handle uh, a tiny little crime movie. Surely. <laughs> you would think. Uh, yeah. Jeff, a few, we, a few months ago, I was talking about uh i'm uh, what is it i know this much is true the hbo max original starring mark ruffalo playing twins mm-hmm. and i brought up the analogy of uh that's i heard from extra Hot great podcast about like going to a buffet and getting all these different kinds of foods that don't go together mm-hmm. uh and i don't remember if it was extra Hot great or you that said it but it was like you know you're picking up like quesadillas. You're picking up ribeye steak. You're picking up gummy bears. You know, like you're putting them, you're loading them all on your plate. And it's like, these these things don't go together. You know, like this doesn't, this doesn't go together. Why are you putting all this stuff together? That's how I feel about Cherry, the new movie by the Russo brothers that's streaming right now on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, and in this case, it's less about plot mechanics and more about filmmaking techniques Hmm. like this movie has literally every single filmmaking technique known to men (laughs) and (laughs) so so literally like anything you can think of just name it it's in the movie so slow motion in the movie um pov shot from tom holland's anus it's in the movie Hmm. I, yeah, that oh, was oh, going oh, to be I, the second thing I bring up, so I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad we ranked them in order of. We're really Jeff's getting those mind. drone shots, you know, like really locked drone in. Drone shots, you know that bullet yeah. time thing where like everyone freezes, but the camera moves around. Like that's in the movie. Yeah. Um, tinting scenes, a specific color, that's in the movie. 
just uh, all kinds of camera, the camera movement where they like do like the 360 rotation, you know, that's in the movie. Like every the, the Avengers movies thing. just broke them. They can't just make <laughs> a movie, right? It has to be balls to the wall, everything. Yeah. I mean, is this what ha- isn't this what happens when you give two guys who are barely out of film school uh, a big blockbuster project or put them in a medium where any type of stylistic flourish gets them like tons of appraise and, apl- and applause? <laughs> like that's what that's kind of what happened with Captain America, um, the Winter Soldier, and what ha- kind of happened with their episodes of Community where they showed off their stylistic directorial flourishes, and then they're like, "Wow, they're the next next big thing." <laughs> So, uh, agreed, HT. And I think that, uh, I, I think there is something to the idea that, like, probably Marvel prevented them from doing a lot of things they want to do, right? Like, for probably sure, sure. they yeah, were really yeah. reined in. And so they're like, <laughs> whenever they went to Kevin Feige, he's like, can we please do a slow motion shot? He's like, nope. Um, can we please jack up the color grading on this? The contrast is just so low. Nope. And it's like, okay, now that we're we're writing our own ticket, we're making literally anything we want. Um, somebody tweeted out this artist statement by the Russo brothers on Apple TV. I, I don't, I haven't been able to verify if this is true. Um, so maybe someone will write to me and say this is not actually uh, on their artist statement. Um, but. According to a random tweet I saw, uh, they said, quote the following by Cherry, quote, as filmmakers, we have always been compelled to disrupt form and defy expectations. We're devious by nature. We poke fun at subjects, genres, and ideas as much as we examine or pay homage to them. It's intrinsic to our fatalist sense of humor and to our determined commitment to life as a prosaic exercise. Mm. It's what has allowed us to craft a singular career path devoid of external influence. (laughs) Choosing to follow up the sentimentally elegant 400 blows with the absurdist shoot the piano player, Francois Truffaut said, I took my pleasure as my only rule of conduct. As young filmmakers, that quote became our engine. Cherry is yet another example. These are the films that inspired us to push the limits of how we constructed its darkly comic tale, end quote. So wait, so, Dave, you saw this on <laughs> Apple TV uh, Plus and you didn't see this uh, little artist statement when you watched it? No, I don't know where this was because I watched it on the uh, sc- through the screener's website. So I don't know mm. uh, where this statement is. But either this is a re- brilliant parody or it's true and also a brilliant parody. Um, <laughs> let's just put it that way. I think the thing that's challenging about Cherry, which, by the way, I'm going to acknowledge, is a film I have not finished. Um, is which I, I I never do this. I never talk about a movie I haven't Sometimes finished. Sometimes you get to take a break. Sometimes you um, get to yes, tap right. out. The movie yeah. is, by the way, the movie I should point out is two hours and ten minutes long, <laughs> and it has absolutely no business being that long. Um, but. Uh, I have not finished it. I'm like about halfway through it. And the the thing that really is challenging about this movie is it has all those stylistic flourishes that I mentioned, but the movie is about, it's supposed to be a gritty PTSD drug addiction story. And the, just to my opinion, like the, the, all the, all those stylistic flourishes are just very incongruous with that kind of movie. It feels like they really didn't choose the right tool to tell this specific story. Uh, And I think the reviews reflect that. Uh, I think also Tom Holland is quite miscast. I think he can actually do... Like, uh, we talked about The Devil all the time on this podcast, Mm -hmm. is that right? 
and I've actually thought he's really good in that film. Like yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. he he's he's about like his role in that movie was about kind of lost innocence. And I think he's real he's he's pretty good at that, even though he's kind of like this innocent, very young looking kid. Um but I think Cherry just demands too much grittiness of him and I don't know that he can really pull it off. Um so so far the movie's a disappointment. I'll report back <laughs> once I finish it. That's thoughts on Cherry streaming on Apple Half TV. Half of Plus. Cherry. Half yeah. of Cherry streaming on Apple TV Plus. Uh and, and I, I just have to say, like, seeing all the filmmaking techniques that I mentioned, it's it's kind of exhausting, guys. It's kind yeah, of like yeah. it's kind of exhausting. So this yeah, reminds me of like when, when we'd have to see bad movies uh in the theater too, like there are times where I just like go for like a quick walk. You know, I just, I just go to the bathroom. Like I, oof, I need to. I just need to re. It's the know, kind of movie when when you go to the brain. bathroom, it's like a relief in more ways than one. Exactly. You're like, oh, exactly. I'm like yeah, out of that yeah. world a little bit, you know, and that's nice. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, I also had a chance to. Uh, I've been trying to check out more old classics, you know, um, particularly movies that are on my list of shame. Now, I think I may have seen Chunking Express decades ago, but it's been so long that I basically don't remember anything about it. And Chunking Extra- Express, the one car Y film, is streaming on Criterion. Uh, nice. So I had a yeah. chance to check it out. And I just got to say, I don't know if Wong Kar Wai is like one of my favorite directors. I Obviously super skilled. His movies are less about plot and more about a vibe, right? From my All about the perspective. Vibe. It's about yes. a vibe, a feeling, Got an a atmosphere. Mood. A mood for love. As it is. Were. It is my dream to get us to do the Grandmaster at some point because mm. that movie mm. is also a vibe and has not been talked about enough. That movie is, yeah, it's definitely a vibe. It's yeah, it's a vibe for me. I like. It. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of it, but um, yeah, it's it's a vibe for sure. Uh-huh. Uh, Devinder, you seen Chunking Express or HD? Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I haven't seen that Chunking, but I have seen the Mood for Love and Grandmaster. I mean, what's what's great about Chunking Express is it it does a really good job of capturing city living, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And what it's like to live in an urban environment, and uh, and kind of this idea of longing, uh, this Mm -hmm. idea of longing for love, for connection in a very kind of dense urban environment. And um, no one, what what's what was what struck me about watching this movie again is. That no one really imitates Wong Kar Wai that well. Like it's uh, certainly he's been influential, but there's been very few movies I've seen that like use the exact same techniques in mm-hmm. this combination. Which is mm-hmm. to say, a lot of like floaty handheld camera, um, that, shallow focus, yeah, uh, shallow depth of field, and also like the uh, the motion blur that he uses with the you know. Uh, yeah low shutter speed and kind of like you know it's very evocative of action it's just like no one makes movies like him and it's the combo of him by the way and christopher doyle and i think their partnership is just a a beautiful thing you know because christopher doyle's eye is also so very specific uh and like he yeah he's a he's his go-to cinematographer you know and they they formed like a really strong relationship yeah also, uh, seeing kind of American pop music overlaid on these Asian environments uh, mm-hmm. was just really, it's just a fascinating juxtaposition. It kind of it is a great way of conveying the notion of the American dream and its power around the world, I thought. Um, and uh, Tony Leung is in this movie. Uh, and he looks, he looks awesome. He looks freaking amazing. I mean, this is like him at the height of his powers. 
Um, and also, uh, what's his name? K- Takeshi Kaneshiro is in this Who's movie. Who's in everything. Yeah. He's great. He was, by the way, Jeff, this is a video game connection. He was the physical model for the character of Semenosuke in the Onimusha yeah. series. You know his face. Oh, yeah. yeah. If you've played the Omen, oh, right. Onimusha Warlords yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So um, very talented actor. He's in this movie as well. Uh, but yeah, I would r- recommend it if you're looking to feel what it's like to kind of live in a city and... Uh, Man. And uh, this, this is a off. go-to movie for me, by the way, because I'm missing cities and I'm yeah. missing horror like populated cities. So yeah, I need to give it. It's a, a great city movie. It's a great mm-hmm. movie about romance and love, and uh, I'd highly recommend it. It's Chung King Express by Wong Kar Wai. I streamed it on the Criterion Channel. Uh, all right, Devendra, you uh, you've also been watching Search Party. Uh, what season are you up to right now? Uh, I, I feel like I've lost track. I feel like, yeah, I'm on to season four now. Mm-hmm. So I've finish season three shit gets wilder and wilder and uh, one thing i want to point out too is that i love that the show just knows exactly how to use Aaliyah shawkat who is an actor i've loved forever certainly since uh, arrested development but she's also matured into like this really interesting dramatic actor too and her character dory she is the main character of search party uh goes through a lot of changes and it is really <laughs> funny to see like fascinating to see how she changes as an actor too and how she just embodies that character and uh i love her i love her and i love that this uh the show also doesn't shy away from like her or she is half iraqi it doesn't shy away from her parentage or anything too so i dig all that yeah and you've also uh you finished the expanse as well devendra i have finished the expanse it is uh you know it's very good that's that's really (laughs) all i can say there are things that happen in the last season of The Expanse that I've uh, never seen before in any sort of space drama or sci-fi drama. And this is a show that just does such a great job of building up everything. You've kind of, uh, even like season one stuff that you may have like had to suffer through, it does build up all of its plot points in a very novelistic way. Um, I feel like this season is doing the stuff I wish the last couple Game of Thrones seasons did you know and whereas those shows never especially the last season game of thrones felt like it didn't really pay off the characters or the world or everything it built the expanse is all about that payoff so stick with it everybody certainly the advice to get into season two i think is a very good one but goddamn, this show is just so good cool uh the expanse is streaming right now on prime video um and search party streaming right now on hbo max ht tell us about what you've been watching this week oh uh I've been watching one thing that I feel like Devendra might be familiar with. I've heard. I've heard, yeah. Yes. Oh, actually, I think I, I tweeted about this, and then I said you should watch it. I mm-hmm. can't remember. No, this is another <laughs> thing. Never mind. Just kidding. Anyways, what I've been watching is Ongaku, Our Sound. It's an anime film directed by Kenji Iwasaiwa in his directorial debut that is unlike any other anime film I've seen. For one, it's a combination of... Uh, hand-drawn animation that's incredibly simple, these abstract backgrounds that look like they're either watercolored or just like sketched on uh, with character designs that look like they're straight out of a comic strip from, I don't know, the 1950s or something. It's like a cartoon and they're also rotoscoped, which is such a fascinating and weird and uncanny thing uh, as you as you're watching it because I didn't realize at first that it was a completely rotoscoped movie. Um, it's basically like these really flat type of characters that again you would imagine in a comic strip that move with the weight 
and the feeling of real people. And it's very bizarre, which kind of lends to the bizarreness of this whole movie, which is the movie itself is it's like the plot is very simple. It's about um, a trio of delinquents, uh, of high school delinquents who uh, find themselves in ownership of a stolen bass guitar and just decide on a whim to start a band. And they don't know how to play music, how to read music, how to write music. Um, but they steal a bunch of other instruments, including half a drum set and another bass guitar. And um, they just start playing and they realize that this is their calling. And um, they run into another folk band who hears their music and deems them the new rock gods and asks them to play in a rock festival at the end of the year or something. It's it's a movie that has that just kind of goes is very slow and uh, is it's a comedy too, so it kind of uh, sticks with that really almost stoner type comedy, and uh, it it's all done in these in this very interesting and unique animation style where uh, not only is the regular animation done in like the rot- in the rotoscoping, they have during the music performances uh, rotoscoped performances of actual like alt Japanese music- musicians playing uh, with their hair going wild and it becomes almost free drawn and and so interesting it's um it's a really fascinating film that uh i would actually highly recommend even if you don't like anime because it's again something that is unlike many other anime films i've seen including in the art style and uh in that way that the rotoscoping really complements the um the very bizarre very irreverent very funny and silly and sweet uh putting a band together movie all right, that's Ongaku, our sound. So I'll spell that out. O-N-G-A-K-U colon our sound. Uh, how'd you watch it, HD? So I watched this through a screener, <laughs> but it's available on... Just rub it in, HD. Just, Just rub, rub it, it in. in. Um, but it's available. It's only available on PVOD, so you do have to pay for it. Um, it's also recently got released on home video by G Kids. Um they're great. All of the the Thank you for G Kids. G Kids yeah. is, yeah, so is much great. G Kids is it's great. So, good. so yeah. they are great. And they, you know, they have taken over the Studio Ghibli works ever since Disney just let the the rights to that go. With the, which is a real a real loss on their part, but G Kids is doing an even better job at mm-hmm. at uh mm-hmm. with the Studio Ghibli collection. So go G Kids. This is not a, a sponsored message from G Kids. <laughs> but send me send me your entire box set or everything you made. <laughs> yes. Uh, again, that's uh, Ongaku R Sound, uh, and it is available. You can actually buy it on Video On Demand or get the Blu-ray. That's what HT has been watching this week. Me encantan las películas. <laughs> if you didn't understand me, I just said I love movies in Spanish. Why? Because I just learned it from Babbel, the number one selling language learning app and our sponsor. One of my goals for the new year was to finally, finally learn a new language. And Babbel is what I've been using. It's made the whole process addictively fun and easy with bite-sized lessons that you can actually use in the real world. I chose Spanish. I live in California. It's actually useful to me. But man, the process of learning a language, being able to communicate to other people all around the world, it's invaluable. And Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. Unlike the infamous language classes you took in high school, Babbel designs their courses with practical, real-world conversations in mind, things that you'll get to use in everyday life. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts. 
Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. Something I really need to work on. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, with your purchase of a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free. That's six months for the price of three. Just go to Babbel.com and use the promo code FILMCAST. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Code F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T for an extra three months free. Babbel. Language for life. It's time for me to tell you about our sponsor, Manscaped. Get prepared for St. Patrick's Day by getting Manscaped. If you're going to get a little lucky. Manscaped is the global leader for below-the-waist grooming and the official sponsor of Slash Filmcast. To ensure that you have the best tools for your family jewels... Visit manscaped.com and use the code FILMCAST for 20% off and free international shipping. You are in luck. You are in luck. That's right, I said luck. Because the Manscaped TM Performance Package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Included in this new package is the Weed Whacker TM Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, which is waterproof and uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. Do not settle for a single RPM less than 9,000. Look, guys, 79% of partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. Do not have it. Why not use the best tools for the job up in there? The nose! This bundle includes the Lawn Mower TM 3.0 Trimmer, the best trimmer on the market for your balls, butt, and body. The three Bs. Of course, that last B includes the other two Bs, but let's not get into specifics. Balls, butt, and body. You need to be trimmed. The third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe TM technology. You'll feel confident shaving your thunder right down under. You can get festive and safely shave a shamrock into your, you know, pubes. You and your partner will get lucky, all right. Their lawnmower 3.0 will showcase your pot of gold like no other. I don't know what that means. Let's not forget their famous liquid formulations, the Crop Preserver TM Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver TM Ball Toner to maximize your ball hygiene routine. Get the performance package now to receive their two free gifts, the Manscaped TM Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Not trademarked. I guess. The performance package is the best value that Manscaped TM has to offer and is hot off the shelves. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FILMCAST at manscaped.com. Also, every purchase at manscaped.com goes toward contributions made to the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer, men's health, and early cancer detection. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code FILMCAST at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and code FILMCAST. There's gold at the end of the rainbow with Manscaped. Tim, Jeff Kanata, what have you been watching this week? I had a chance to check out the episode of Assembled on Disney+. Plus. That covers the making of WandaVision. Have any of you guys watched this? 
No, I've heard about it. it was, no. It's kind of the thing people have been talking about since WandaVision's over now. It was released like right after the finale, right? Of yeah, it's an hour long, uh, fairly in-depth, full of spoilers. It assumes that you've watched the entire season. Are you going to spoil WandaVision right now or are you going to? I am not. Okay, cool. Um, but I wanted to give fair warning to folks. It, it, it's, if you're in the middle of the show, don't watch the making of. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's that's generally good advice for any yeah. show, by the way. Not just it, does, uh, it not feels just like a particularly well-made Blu-ray extra feature uh, or something. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a little in depth, more in depth than some of the ones. I mean, I, I was pretty disappointed, frankly, by the uh, Avengers, uh, uh, you know, Blu-ray extras, the end game, yeah. and. They're pretty brief, and yes, you know, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but the, <laughs> go it off. Is clear, go off. it is clear. <laughs> anytime you watch any of these behind the scenes making of featurettes that are on, you know, Blu-rays, it is clear that someone's job was to <laughs> document the making of these films every day, yep. or yep. close to every day. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. There must be hundreds of hours of footage. Yes. In what universe do you make a 20-minute featurette out of that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I want to see that. I, and and where do, what is that footage for? Who? Where does it go? What? Why <laughs> not make something more out of that? It, it's so frustrating to me because it's very clear that they have people documenting stuff very frequently. It's not just... We, we, we were only there a couple of days and here's all the footage we got. It's clear that they are there a lot. And um, I don't I don't understand the philosophy behind these studios. And well, I would say it's small. completely economic, right? It's it's that there is not I mean, maybe in this case, they miscalculated that there were probably there probably is more demand for this than than they thought. But in general, um, a lot of people don't watch these things like it's not a super popular thing. And uh, it takes money to make them. Takes money well, to I, put them together. So I bring that up to say, number one, I think WandaVision is a notable exception, although not as in depth as I would like. I would, mm. I want like hours and hours and hours of yes. like raw. You unedited, want a ten-hour but... WandaVision making of <laughs> yes. thing? Just yeah. give, just set the camera up and let me watch them work. You know, that's why the Lord invented podcasts. I think like yeah. so many pod- show Aren't podcasts you? tend to do that. Yeah. But the second point I'll make is, I think this may be an indication of things things to come because in the in the universe where that sweet sweet disney plus needs content you know it, it feed that beast these featurettes and if and if there are shows like assembled and all like legends and all these sort of behind the scenes um uh, fan service shows that are disney plus shows perhaps we will get an outlet for more of that footage and you know as Black Widow comes out as as more Marvel films come out. Maybe you will see some of that content that would have found life on a physical disc release being more beefy and coming out on their streaming platform. I'm hopeful. Um, but overall, I think the WandaVision uh, Assembled uh, episode, I get the impression that Assembled is going to be a longer series. Um, but overall, I thought it was, it was great. It was really fun. Lots of interviews of all the... Uh, Actors, it's fascinating the amount of work that was put in uh, to for authenticity for all of the uh, sitcom stuff. I mean, they go into very uh, intense detail about the the first episode of WandaVision, the nineteen um, fifties sitcom homage that is based on um, the Dick Van Dyke show, and it, it turns out that 
uh, not only, you know, did they meticulously recreate uh, props and set pieces of the time period, but every member of the crew also dressed period while they were shooting mm. uh, because they shot in front of a live studio audience that they brought in. Uh, evidently, that was the only episode where they did that. But they they shot in front of a live studio audience. The studio audience was seated in period chairs. Mm. Uh, they made it seem like you had walked into the 1950s when the audience was walking in to watch that episode be taped. I thought that was really cool. It's yeah. a lot of uh, a lot of neat behind the scenes stuff, and I, mm. I recommend it if you enjoyed Wandavision. I think you'll get a lot of joy out of the hour long episode of Assembled. It's assembled streaming right now on Disney Plus. I've heard great things about it, so I'm yeah. looking forward to checking it out. Quite good. I share I share your frustration about the lack of special features, particularly like the Avengers stuff. Uh, yeah. So that, so it gives you like a snippet, and you're yeah, like, yeah, ah. you, you see like a literally like a three second clip of them like in front of a green screen. I'm just like, dude, I want to see how this was shot. Like, I want to yes. understand how this was made. You know, the biggest yeah. film of all time. Look at just compare it to Avatar. You know, which right. had a really healthy, uh, you know, uh, documentaries and other behind-the-scenes special features. Speaking of which, the the now returning and, and and still champion of the world. Yeah, that that's that's what we're talking about. Avatar's back, baby, back on top. Avatar relevant. has overtaken Avengers: Endgame to once again become the top-grossing movie of all time because it it was re-released in China. Uh, and China was a big property. Uh, Avatar was a big property in China, and yeah. it's uh-huh. it's not like there's a ton of like new American films to release in China right now. So the shock um, to me was that it only needed three million dollars to go back on top. Like that's yeah. it made three million in change in yeah. China, and it brought it back on top. I didn't know that it only lost the title by three million. That's very small. Well, it's, not, it's not as if Endgame is never going to make it back to theaters. So this is going to be a very annoying back and forth for as long as we <laughs> this can. This is going to be extremely irritating. Yeah, extremely yeah, yeah. irritating back exactly. and forth that you're going to hear us discuss over and over again on the podcast. So <laughs> it's, it's as if it is strap in, uh, folks. One might consider it to be relevant to the entire movie culture is what you might one say. One might say that. One might say that. Of course, you know, a couple thoughts. Number one, Fox is owned by Disney now, so it's just which one of Disney's properties yeah. uh, can be can become more <laughs> successful. That's basically what we're we're talking about now. Like even back when it was owned by Fox, it was barely an interesting competition between these multinational conglomerates. But now it's even less interesting. However, yes, uh, Jeff, this must have given you a, a spring to your step when you saw it was yeah, back. Yeah, and I would oh, like to. Well, po- actually, Jeff, let me let me ask you. Let me ask you this question: Avatar. Or Avengers Endgame, is there one that you actually prefer to be oh, on the number one of all time? You. How oh. dare you give me that Sophie's Choice? How dare you? <laughs> um, I think my heart is is still with uh, Avengers Endgame. I mean, I, I'm a Marvel zombie from way back. I would be back. stunned if you didn't say that. So, <laughs> yeah. so really, deep down, this is a crushing disappointment that Avatar is... <laughs> No, taken. it tickles me by how yeah. much it forces you to talk about it. And you I will... gave Jeff the choice of uh, everybody on the desert planet, basically. <laughs> what <laughs> will you sacrifice? Yeah. <laughs> I, I also would like to point out, Mr. Uh, it's annoying to, to a topic. Uh, you brought it up. Oh. I didn't bring it up. Oh, dude, I, I'm the one. Yes, every wound that I have is self-inflicted, Jeff. Yeah. So there's no, <laughs> I was not at all trying to blame you. I, I was warning our listeners, you will hear us talk about this for another 35 times in the next, you know, <laughs> decade years, or so, yeah. however, however long, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, guys, Avatar 2, theoretically a thing that is still happening. 
Oh, yeah, baby. It's going to save cinema. We have been talking about Avatar 2 for almost as long as this podcast yeah. has been happening. Yep. Uh, yep. Which is over a decade at this point. There's yeah. been children, there's teenagers who weren't born at the time that we started talking about Avatar 2. Yeah. We, we um, Avatar parents. one of your first reviews? It was. It was. Yeah. One of our was first reviews. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember seeing it at Comic-Con. So... Yeah, did uh, we sit next to each other? Did they, or am I misremembering that? It was I mean, so Avatar was reviewed on Slash Filmcast episode 81 with Dan Trachtenberg from the Totally Rad Show. Yeah. At the time, uh, at the time that, yeah. Totally Rad Show gave that movie our, our movie of the year that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I remember they showed <laughs> largely uh, driven by Jeff, I think. Well, all three of us <laughs> love that movie, dude. And you, uh, to this day, I guarantee you, Dan loves that movie. Um, but. I, I remember, I, maybe you guys weren't sitting next to me. Maybe I'm conflating two different memories. But there was, at Comic-Con, they showed yes, like they showed like 15 20 minutes. minutes. Yeah. They showed yeah. 20 yeah. minutes of footage, yeah. 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 And were you sitting next to us in the, when we watched that? It's very possible we were. Yeah. I don't remember. I, I yeah. think so. Uh, but that was in December of 2009 was when we reviewed that yeah. movie. So it's been, it's been a minute. It's uh, an entire universe ago. That is pre-Trump, pre-COVID, pre-everything. Man. Oh, yeah. Avatar 2's current release date. Avatar 2's current release date, I believe, is December 16th, 2022. Okay. So. It'll be here before you know it. Yeah, I mean, it's more like almost two years, but yes. Uh, Can you you imagine? I I wonder how much work (laughs) is left on that, by the way, but I wonder if if they could possibly do the Hamilton thing. Just be like, you know, we got this movie here. You get people to go back to theaters. Avatar 2 a year early. <laughs> They've been working on this thing for so long. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Jeff would lose his mind yeah. if that happened. I feel like people would go insane and rush to theaters. He's oh, so man. rad. <laughs> H- <laughs> HT, are you, looking forward to, are you looking forward to Avatar? I can't say that I am. I'm not the biggest fan of the first Avatar. What? I know. What? I'm sorry. <laughs> what? How dare I not love the most, Get off the, the podcast, highest grossing movie in the world? <laughs> Get off the podcast. Okay. Uh, well, I'm sorry to hear that, but you know, back in the day, Avatar mm-hmm. one was a big deal, and oh, now yeah, that was before my time. Yeah, it was before your time. Yeah, let me tell you a little bit about 2009. <laughs> <laughs> We were all yeah. bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Yeah, we wore onions on our belts. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. it was the style at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, some of the best movies of the year included District Nine, Where the Wild Things Are, and The Hurt Locker. Uh, simpler times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Simpler times. Okay, milk, Jeff, you could get milk for four dollars a gallon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jeff. <laughs> Assemble the streaming on Disney Plus. What else have you been watching, Jeff? Well, I want to mention this thing because it's it's pretty cool. If if there's anybody out there that has a VR headset, particularly a an an Oculus Quest, um, I have an Oculus Quest Two, and I've been enjoying periodically uh, some narrative content on the Oculus Quest Two, not just video game content. One of which is a fascinating series that is in the Oculus Store. I'm not. I, honestly, I should have checked, but I, I mm. believe this is um, exclusive to Oculus Store. Yeah, it may, yeah, it, yeah, it maybe like, on yeah. other things, but yeah, I think I, I saw it through the Oculus Store, and there, I mentioned before, there's a wide range of quality of uh, VR video, but this is in the top top end of that quality level, and it's 
something that the that Oculus, I think, uh, funded. It's called When We Stayed Home. And it's a number of shorts, uh, short um, video series that were recorded in April of 2020, right as the stay-at-home order, as the uh, the quarantining for COVID was really its most intense. Uh, and this is set in a number of cities around the globe. There's one in Venice, uh, there's one in uh, Dubai, there's one in Tokyo, um, there's a number of them. And it is an experience that I think is really incredible that they captured because I don't, you know, in the Venice one, they say that there's been gondolas, there's been tourists in Venice for 400 years. Mm -hmm. And there has never been a time in all that time where the gondolas haven't been going in some capacity and people haven't been on the streets. So the fact that there was video cameras, 3D virtual reality, 360 degree virtual reality cameras placed on the streets, on the streets of these cities when they are empty of human beings. It is extraordinary. And you are there, you are in this virtual reality uh, presentation. You can look all the way around. And basically it, it, there's, um, they have narratives, they have a voiceover by, I don't know if they're fictional characters. I don't think so. I think they're real characters, real people. Um, but they're narrating sort of their lives and what they did before and after the the quarantine, uh, talking about their experience uh, in those cities, and it's an amazing thing. I highly recommend it if if you have an Oculus Quest headset. I highly recommend checking out When We Stayed Home, because you'll see these cities in a way that most humans will never again. And you, you and know, Jeff, I don't know if I'm ready for this. <laughs> To be honest, like I, yeah. I saw New York like this. It was hell. It was terrifying. But uh, I do wonder, like as a cultural document, right? Like as something you say for the future. And yeah. when our kids ask, like, how, so what was it like during this? Yeah. You could just sit through these things. So I'm, I'm glad this is made. But man, I, I will, don't want to touch this for a while. <laughs> I mean, there is a little depressing yeah. element to it for sure. But they there's a number of them where uh, in Tokyo in particular, and I believe Venice is the same way. I don't know the story behind this, but they managed to set the cameras up in the same place they had already captured footage pre-COVID. Oh, man. So there's literally like a dissolve to empty. Yeah. Uh, so they literally, you know, crossfade from the same camera position where you see teeming with tourists, all these yeah. people walking around and then just ghost town. You can see uh, humanity disappear right before your eyes. Yeah, Jeff, but, what but, are you doing to me here? I mean, I guess you know you, you bring up a, a valid point that it is it is kind of depressing, but there's a beauty to it, right? You, mm -hmm. you see the city in a different way. You see mm. the architecture. You see these these nooks and crannies that are filled with human beings, and you you have an opportunity to see it in a, with fresh eyes. And I I found it to be really compelling. And and I didn't come away from it feeling super depressed. I just felt like, wow, right, look right. at these places. I would never be able to see it like this, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to your Thanos was right podcast, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, this from, snap. First of all, so the, the thing Jeff's talking about, uh, when we stayed home, it's available on the Oculus Quest store, right? Yeah. Uh, it's it free. It's not, you don't have to pay for it or anything. Mm -hmm, it's just, mm -hmm. 
um you it's, you click it, on it and you can stream it and watch it you can it's, see I, some of it on youtube too like it's they're, no they're uh it's chunks, no yeah. minari digital rental or anything like that um <laughs> <laughs> you really gotta I, I really think it's still viewable jeff yeah and, I'm, and I'm also that it i'm is a little check. bit concerned that like you didn't know that those are the rules for rentals until now <laughs> well like are there, how I many think I'm dozens find of rentals was... have you let lapse in the last 10 years i don't yeah i don't i don't rent a thing and then not watch it i've never done that mm, mm. i rent a thing because i want to watch it in that moment i see so you're and like the... an impulsive renter basically you're <laughs> you shoot from the hip when it comes to the rentals man i'm not like i'm not like you are you you plan to rent something three weeks in advance and you tell your dad and all that stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I think history will show which one of us is right. Uh, <laughs> anyway, this reminds me of this New York Times story uh, about the, the headline is, this Japanese shop is 1,020 years old. Oof. It knows a bit about surviving crises. And it's about yeah. a mochi seller in Kyoto uh, and many of Japan's other centuries-old businesses have endured by putting tradition and stability over profit and growth. And it's about this this business that's been alive for a thousand years uh, and has had to Boggles go through COVID now. Yeah. yeah. So there are, wow. uh, there are, yeah, businesses that have been surviving for a while and like they've been able to weather these kinds of things because they have weathered so many other things in the past. Yeah, you say um, that, but Fry's Electronics just went away, you know? It's exactly <laughs> the same. Exactly the same. Zero differences yeah. between yeah, Fry's and this other thing. Yeah. All right, let's get to weekly plugs. We're going to do weekly plugs. Weekly plugs is a segment each week where we discuss something that we've been in uh, or something that's uh, like someone else has been in. We're just recommending it. So I have a weekly plug, which is in addition to the Slash Filmcast Patreon over at patreon.com slash film podcast. I got my own Patreon over at patreon.com slash Dave Chen, where I'm cranking out stuff that most people on here don't care about. Uh, which is stuff about, You're right about com- that. Yeah. conversations about race, conversations about <laughs> getting vaccinated, conversations about losing weight, a bunch of other topics uh, that I'm recording bonus podcasts with, uh, with my wife, with my COVID bubble, things of that nature. So check that out over at patreon.com slash Dave Chen. A lot of great conversations over the last few weeks uh, that I think people uh, might enjoy. Devinder Hardwar, uh, your weekly plug this week. Yeah, you guys may have heard things about these uh, non-fungible tokens over the last couple of weeks. Oh, I hate stuff that's fungible. I hate it. I hate it, I hate it so much. Um, <laughs> if you, if you too, are confused about the world of NFTs, I invite you to listen to the Engadget podcast episode titled "What the Fuck Are NFTs," um, <laughs> in which we try to break it down with Dan Cooper from Engadget, and uh, he he has a financial background, and he we basically get into you know, what the hell these things are and why everyone's talking about them right now. And also a lot about why uh, I hate them and why we all hate them. So be sure <laughs> to check that out on the Engadget Podcast. All right. That's the Engadget Podcast, WTF or NFTs. Jeff, your weekly plug? It's been a while since I mentioned the fact that you can get a personalized, made-to-order, bespoke limerick, your very own, made by me, read by me, for you, 
on my Cameo page, cameo.com slash Jeff Canada. Just spell with two N's and one T. Um, it's the perfect gift for any occasion. I, I took down the Cameo page for a while when I had my surgery on my throat because I couldn't do them. Um, so, and I put it back up just recently and I haven't gotten any, uh, any orders in a while. So I'm bringing it up because it's a great, it's a great gift for your friends, your family, St. Patrick's day, a great St. Patrick's day gift. You know, uh, maybe I'll even do a, an Irish accent for you. If you want that, uh, you tell me what you need. I got your back covered. Uh, All right. Cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata. That's Jeff's cameo page. HT, your weekly plug. I was originally going to plug my uh, Doctor Who Star Trek podcast, but I put that last time, and I realized I have something <laughs> well, much more relevant to Well, let's plug that to HD, yeah. so tell us about your Doctor Who podcast. Oh, I do have a weekly um, Doctor Who Star Trek watch podcast called Trekking Through Time and Space. My co-host is Jacob Hall. He's a Star Trek fan. I'm a Doctor Who fan. Every week we go through an episode of Star Trek and Doctor Who, starting with Star Trek the original series and Doctor Who the Modern, Modern Revival, and introduce our favorite sci-fi shows to each other it's full of fun facts and trivia and also bad jokes from both of us so you can check that out on uh, itunes spotify wherever you get your podcasts at but i have something to plug that is much more relevant to today's episode um i appeared on npr recently never heard uh, of it never heard of it what is it have you got yeah. uh, you know it's the uh, non-fungible radio <laughs> public radio <laughs> Um, but yes, I was asked to speak about Raya and the Last Dragon and its uh, issues with the representation, with Southeast Asian representation specifically in its voice cast, which uh, is significantly um, lacking in Southeast Asian voices, especially in its main cast, Kelly Marie Tran, and is the one main speaking part with who is of Southeast Asian descent. Everyone else is East Asian. And uh, I spoke about that on NPR and um, you can check it out. I, I hope I sound, you know, public radio worthy. HT did a great job. I heard the segment and I agree you should check it out. Um, uh, it's a perspective worth considering when talking about movies like Raya, which is, by the way, something that we're about to do right now. So let's get to our review of Raya and the Last Dragon. Remember what we're looking for. And don't trust anyone. Hey, baby. Where are your parents? Hey, uh, who's baby? What? Really? A con baby? Impressive. We could use someone like you. Yeah? Let's catch you up. My name is Raya. Our lands have been at war for as long as we can remember. Our people never see eye to eye. My daughter, I believe our people can come together again. But someone has to take the first step. Now, in order to restore peace, we must find the last dragon. I wish to join this fellowship of butt kickery. Let's go. That was from the trailer for Raya and the Last Dragon, which is streaming right now on Disney+. Plus. I think you can also view it in theaters. I assume we all watched it on Disney+, Plus, though. Correct? Correct. 
HT, did you of see course. another screening or anything like that? I or? saw I saw a screener of it with my name and, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> water watermarked right in the middle. Yes, yes. Um, well, Ryan, the Last Dragon is nice, in theaters now. Nice flex, or, though. Or watch it on Disney Plus uh, Premier Access with an additional fee. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. In a realm known as Kumandra, a reimagined Earth inhabited by an ancient civilization, a warrior named Raya is determined to find the last dragon. Uh, Raya and the Last Dragon is known as uh, Disney's first Southeast Asian princess, which is a big deal, and uh, it's lovely to see that. Uh, But I am curious, beyond the fact that it has a cast full of extremely talented Asians and Asian Americans, uh, was the movie any good? HT, what do you think? So I went into Raya and the Last Dragon with a lot of trepidation. I am the target demographic for it. I am Vietnamese-American, so I'm of Southeast Asian descent. And Raya and the Last Dragon is a movie that is very much inspired by Southeast Asian cultures and kind of is a grab bag of various cultural influences from Vietnam, from Thailand, from Laos, from Malaysia, uh, the 11 or so countries that are within within the Southeast Asian uh, region. And while I was a little less impressed by the representation that is up the Southeast Asian representation in Ryan the Last Dragon, I did enjoy the sort of fantasy epic of the movie itself. It's a real like bar- barn burner of uh, an epic. It feels very Indiana Jones uh, meets <laughs> Avatar The Last Airbender, which a lot of people have been dra- drawing comparisons uh-huh. to because of the visual similarities in both the character designs and the architecture and everything like that. It is also because Avatar The Last Airbender also draws inspiration from both Asia and Southeast Asia. But um, it the it's interesting because the, the movie opens with a animated sequence that's almost exactly ripped from Avatar: The Last Airbender's opening, and I was like, "Wow, I I can't fathom how they weren't aware of this." Um, but I I have I wondered if this was an issue with that you guys had um, because, and it also kind of rolls into my sort of drawbacks with this representation too, because um, movies like I, I kept thinking of movies like. Pixar's Coco, for example, or A24's The Farewell, in which a very specific uh, cultural story was able to resonate with me so much because of that specificity. It became more universal in that specificity. And with Ryan the Last Dragon, it felt like it was trying to do a lot of everything. And by making it a melting pot uh, of cultural influences, it felt kind of like it was trying to be everything and didn't end up being that thing that really I identified with. And this is, I wondered why this was happening because Moana did something similar with Polynesian cultures in that it took a lot of inspiration from various Polynesian uh, cultures. But um, and it ha- I think the difference was that um, Moana took the, the Disney musical approach. And I think that this is my personal take on this. Uh, I think that the Disney musical, the musical itself, uh, is a a format that sort of doesn't allow for any sort of cynicism or anything like that. It's, it's all about that earnestness, wearing that heart on your sleeve and in song. And I felt like I missed some of that earnestness that I associate so much with that Disney magic in Moana. Um, 
because it, it's it's not only an epic, it's also really funny, really like uh, self-effacing, smart, like snarking type of animated movie that you see a lot recently. And I am kind of hit or miss on that kind of humor. I mm-hmm. think that that sort of DreamWorks style humor, I, I noticed like so many characters having that, that DreamWorks, you know, sm- a sneer, not smirk, that DreamWorks smirk. And it kind of took me out of really emotionally identifying with the movie as much as I could have. So basically, the grab bag of Ryan the Last Dragon gave me a grab bag of emotions and um, feelings about this film. Hey, let me jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Harry's. You know, it's too often that we have to choose between quality and a fair price. Not so with Harry's. No, no, no. They have award-winning blades and factory direct prices. What does that mean? It means it cuts out the middleman. You get a great shave. You know, I I, I got I'm sporting the beard these days, but I got that Harry's razor for my neck and for the detail, my mustache trimming. Oh, so good. Harry's delivers a close, comfortable shave at a fair price. Only $2 per refill. How do they do it? Well, Harry's team combined a simple ergonomic design with five sharp blades, and they source their steel from Sweden and manufacture their own blades in their world-class blade factory in Germany. That's pretty cool. Harry's German factory is one of the select few manufacturers in the world that have mastered the technology to create a gothic arch, the gold standard for razor blade grinding. (laughs) I don't got to tell you that. You know. They have a 100% quality guarantee, and they stand behind the quality of their blades so much, and they have 100% money-back guarantee at harrys.com. That's pretty cool. For a limited time, Harry's has an exclusive offer for listeners of the Slash Filmcast. New customers can get a Harry's starter set and a free body wash for just three bucks at harrys.com slash filmcast. That's over a $16 value for just $3. You'll get a five blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, a travel cover, and a travel size body wash. It's an incredibly great deal, but you have to act fast while supplies last. Go to harrys.com slash filmcast to redeem your offer. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. You know, it's interesting you mention uh, HT. What was it about Raya that didn't click with you in, in ways that like movies like Moana did? I was actually reading a review over at The Atlantic uh, by Shirley Lee, which quotes you, by the way. What? Um, <laughs> so this review uh, entitled The Flawed Fantasy World of Raya and the Last Dragon uh, and it actually cites you. But one of the things that Shirley Lee uh, brings out in this review is the idea that what was great about movies like Coco and Moana, which were really specific to the culture, is they brought out parts of the culture that had to do with the culture, right? Like uh, w- with Moana, it's the idea of like Polynesian people being explorers. And with Coco, the respect for the dead and the afterlife and so on. And I'm not going to spoil anything about Raya, but like, because Raya and the location of Kumandra is this mishmash of all these different Asian cultures, there's nothing in what happens in Raya that's like, oh, yeah, like, yes, my people do do that or feel that way. You know, like, there's nothing in there that I'm like, I recognize that as, like, the things of my people other than uh, kind of the visual trappings, like the, uh, the, food. the food, yeah, right, the food and the decoration. You know, those those things they got right. But when it comes to the ethos or the behavior or, 
you know, uh, the way that the people's values, there was not much in Raya that I could recognize personally. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's the case. Yeah, I actually agree with you because I felt like I, this kind of dawned on me as I was watching the film. Uh, I felt like if divorce from that Southeast Asian uh, culture that the, the film draws on, it would have played exactly the same. And while the Southeast Asian cultural influences uh, give a nice texture to the film, it feels very much just like texture. It's not actually yeah. ingrained in the fabric of the movie. Correct. I, I think a different way of putting it is, is did this movie have to be about uh, East Asian cultures in order for its story to be told? And I think the answer is no. Like, I think you could have told the same story about a mishmash of any other cultures with the same themes and it probably would have worked just the same. It wouldn't, you know, I think the execution is pretty good. You know, it's not amazing. It's pretty good. But I think that it's it's sad that it lacks the specificity. I think it really, the story really hurts because of that. Anyway, Devinder Hardwar, what did you think of Raya and The Last Dragon? You know, I liked it overall, but uh, yeah, I've got a lot of feelings about this movie too. I, I'm right there with you, HT and Dave. Like it is a... Uh, it's hard not to watch this movie and be like, man, Disney really liked Avatar, The Last Airbender, and The Legend <laughs> of Korra. Because the the other cool thing about Avatar, right, is that that entire universe is also a melange of, like, Asian influences all over the place. But, you know, it is the Asian influence plus fantasy trappings and plus all this other stuff. Um, whereas this movie, I think, is trying to be more of, like, a direct, hey, this is very much should be a reflection of Southeast Asian culture. And it really isn't. So I think that's where that failure kind of lies. Like I can love Avatar and its influences even because I know it's not trying to be a direct thing. Right. And uh, this movie also owes a lot to, uh, to so much. It owes a lot to Studio Ghibli. Like there is so much Nausicaa uh, in this movie, especially in the way that it's about, uh, you know, a broken world and a girl and her sword going out with her friends to like explore this world at times too. Um, you know, I, I think my overall feeling though, is that I'm glad this movie is at least about something, you know, it's about a very specific idea. It's about the idea of trust and who you can trust and how do you forgive somebody who's, you know, hurt you and your society in the most terrible way. And I, I appreciate the fact that it's dealing with some big ideas and big themes because that's not always the case with some of these most recent Disney movies. Um, I think there, there've been some great ones, but also like, uh, what was the last one? the last Pixar before solos onward, onward, right? Which was fine, but I felt like I forgot that movie as soon as I watched it. Whereas this movie feels like it is more fully realized. I kind of get these characters. Um, I appreciate, you know, that Adele Lim co-wrote this script. Um, and there, there's like a lot of great talent uh, behind um, like in the director's chair too, including the co-director of blind spotting. Carlos Lopez Estrada is one of the co-directors of this movie. Just kind of wild to me. Uh, this movie reminds me a lot of Aladdin, I think. And yes, great, in the great way example. Aladdin yeah. works, right? Like it, Aladdin is very much an action movie. This is very much an action movie. I think it handles the action really well. I love all the, the big set pieces, the opening like puzzle sequence and all the fights are fantastic. But yeah, it ha it's like Aladdin without the songs, you know? And I think the songs kind of really added a lot to that story, but also... You look at Aladdin now and uh, that there are elements of that movie that really don't hold up. Like they basically had to remove a line from the opening song, right? Uh, about slaves because uh, yeah, 
you don't you don't poke fun at that really um aladdin what you know, was a movie i grew up loving because it was finally disney saying like hey look a brown guy can be a hero too um but at the same time it's a movie that really you know did not really do well by arabic cultures at all so it's complicated feelings and i kind of have complicated feelings about this i will say i watched this movie with my daughter sophia and she was like on board she is fully on board with everything uh in the same way we watch ghibli movies together like she she loved the characters she loved the the animals in particular so i think like just in terms of making something that a kid can really enjoy um you know it's a success and this is a movie i will not mind rewatching a thousand times because that's what always happens. Um, so yeah, I, I appreciate the fact they can withstand those repeated viewings for sure. Jefferson Kanata, what did you think of Raya and the Last Dragon? Well, Dave, I guess you could say what I thought of Raya and the Last Dragon is best summed up in the form of a limerick. Huh, all right, all right. It combines a cool mythology with eye-popping technology. But I hear you holler, it's $30. <laughs> well, for me, it was well worth all 30. Wow. Nicely done, Jeff. Also, you like this movie. That's good. Yeah, too. I did. Great. I cannot get over something you guys haven't mentioned yet. And I cannot get over how this movie looks. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah. my yeah. God. It is the most beautiful CG animated movie of all time, period. I. I mean, one of the things that's so great about watching CG animated movies is you go, we're like five years away from that being real-time console right. stuff. Like, yep. that's how video games are going to look very soon. Did you, you see know? there was there was NVIDIA video actually released recently of real-time uh, CG rendering of somebody, yes. like, shooting a video and, like, the background is fully made up and rendered, and it looks insane. It looks realistic. So, yeah, we it's not just video games, like everything. Production. Yes. The idea of a green screen will be, uh, you know, uh, child's play compared to what we can do in five to ten years. This movie is sumptuous. I mean, mm -hmm. every different uh, location that they go to, it is gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. The way the dragons animate. There's a, a, a moment where the dragons, they can, like, run across water platforms that they create in the air it is it is stunning the the vegetation the the li the lighting in this movie the lighting Every vegetation is very uh, avatar-esque i'd say yeah, yeah. Uh, which, which avatar the uh james cameron avatar right? the james, james cameron, cameron avatar that we're waiting for avatar 2 yes. yeah i uh, so i mean i just could not get over how spectacular the visuals were i i just i loved looking at this movie that the advances that they've made in hair like the hair of the dragon it, mm -hmm. is unbelievable Un i mean unbelievable kids who are just watching this movie and take it for granted have no idea <laughs> it's it is something special it's a very very pretty movie but i also had a lot of fun with it i mean i i love avatar the last bender it is one of my favorite things period and de definitely gave me vibes at last airbender vibes for sure but i it didn't feel less than because of it i was like yeah i this is the kind of thing i like i love these grand adventure tales i love i mean you see the first the first few frames of the movie you see this girl riding on an armadillo ball across a desolate wasteland i'm like i am in this movie yeah in 
Um, and it's it, it's great high adventure. It is cool action, as Devendra mentioned. One thing that I thought was interesting to note and a little disappointing, frankly, is that uh, I, I don't know of, of very many other uh, CG animated movies that have such long, intensive uh, hand-to-hand combat sequences, martial arts sequences. And you have, you, you've, you've animated these characters, motion captured or however you've done it, you've animated these characters doing these long, cool fights. And you have the ability to put the camera anywhere for sure you don't have to cut around a stunt performer you don't have to cut around uh different takes you have the entire sequence animated why is this still done with lots of cuts Mm. it's it's Mm. shot like a conventional action movie and maybe it's trying to be it's trying to evoke yeah. conventional action I, I think movies. it's shot like a good action movie, right? Yeah, it is it not is shot too well. close. I can see what's yeah. happening. But, yeah. but they, have this, they have this opportunity to make it one, to at least do one action sequence, one fight where the camera just never cuts and we're swooping around. We see these, we can, you could have done that because you have complete freedom in CG to, to view it from any angle all the time without cutting. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sad that we, that the movie never took advantage of that. Because that could have that could have been really cool. I actually didn't um, have as much an issue with the fast editing around the fight sequences. I think yeah. they really added to the tension and just like the the weight and the heavy hits that every one of like those clashes had, especially the mm. well one of the later fight scenes, which just feels so almost terrifying in a way that fight scenes in a Disney movie has never before. And I really applaud them for managing to capture the realism. That way, it it felt like something out of a martial arts movie in a good way. Um, And I, I think I know that um, Queen Nguyen, who co-wrote the script with Adele Lim, uh, also consulted on the martial arts styles, which were uh, Southeast Asian. Uh, martial arts styles. I don't know the actual names of them, but yeah, that I think that's also lends to sort of like that that realism, that hard hitting fact like element of them. Right, right. Uh, uh, to, 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 to what you're saying though, Jeff, like um, I do not want to race the the triumphs of the Kung Fu Panda series because I do think that <laughs> series has actually done yes, a great job I, with CG and action and framing and everything. Yeah, I, I agree, and I actually. I think I disagree with both of you guys, which is that I I agree with Jeff that the movie's gorgeous, everything about it looks beautiful. It's an incredible achievement in animation, but I also really did not like the action scenes. I thought it was it was in an uncanny valley, Jeff. I, I thought it was somewhere between what a conventional action scene would have been shot like and a kind of weightless anywhere cam virtual camera, right? And mm. I think if you, you know, this is just how we all experience it. We all experience it in different ways. But from my observation, it's like the camera made too many moves. It was like, I'm not feeling like this is a real camera. And I yeah, wish yeah. it had been yeah. cut and shot more like a Jackie Chan movie or something like that, you know? Um, but that was my that's my reaction to the action scenes. I that, know, that's the danger, like though. Like, I think specifically what you're seeing, Dave, like it, the danger of treating the virtual camera as a, oh, my God, we could do anything with this. Um, right. The, exactly. the limitations sometimes make for, like, help to really craft what the art form looks like, like what it's we expect it's to also see like, in a martial arts. It's also arts like movie. the visual yeah. language that we're used to. I yes. mean, here's a question. Yeah. Here's a question, right? Is when you're watching Battlestar Galactica or more recently like Star Wars uh, Force Awakens, right? And you see like shaky cam, you know, 
like mm-hmm. shooting, like barely catching up, keeping up, like handheld, barely keeping up with Millennium Falcon, barely focusing in frame. Like to me, I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I think that's yeah. like, oh, I love that they're pretending that this is a camera actually filming the Millennium Falcon. They're barely keeping up with it. Mm-hmm. But the question, Jeff, is do you like that or do you wish uh, it wouldn't try to imitate the conventions of normal action filmmaking, given that they don't have to. No, I think that's, I think that's super cool. And I, I certainly don't, I'm not suggesting you paint everything with the same brush. I'm saying in this, in this situation, yeah. Oftentimes those, the way certain of these sequences were shot would be exactly how it would be shot. If you were trying to cover a stunt performer or mm-hmm. you were mm-hmm. trying to uh, deal with the limitations of you know, shooting only short, short bits of the choreography at a time. Um, and, and yes, that's how these movies, you know, real human beings, how you shoot them. And I understand that the movie was doing it in that same way. And I think that it was cool. I I think most, for the most part, it worked, but I thought in watching it, I wish there was at least one sequence in this movie that took advantage of the fact that we could do a single, you know, seamless take of an entire action sequence where the camera is zooming around. You know, we all laud Matrix, for example, for, you know, having the actual actors learn the fight choreography so that you can have wide shots and we don't have to, you know, mask any stunt performers, et cetera, et cetera. I wish this film took advantage of the fact that you literally don't have any of those restrictions, mm-hmm. at least in one moment. It would have been a cool thing to to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder I just if. Think, uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, go oh, ahead. I wonder if not showing when those hits land, for example, um, which is something that's often done in live action to sh- to like mask for the act- actors not punching or the stunt performers not punching them. Um, I wonder if not showing that uh, was a results of this being a disney family film so they can't actually yeah. show any mm-hmm. actual violence or gore to that extent i mean it's pg it's not g That's it's true. a pg movie so i don't know i just i just think uh it's a, it's, you're saying that's what you want, Jeff. I just don't think that's what you want. Like I, when I've seen it, when I've yeah. seen it, like I watched the the Total Recall remake with Colin Farrell. Did you ever see that movie? Sure. The the opening action sequence with Colin Farrell, like you know, in the original Total Recall, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger gets in the machine and then he starts freaking the fuck out and he gets out of the machine and he starts like beating people up. I, I actually don't remember what happens in the original, but in the new one. Colin Farrell's in the machine. He gets up. He's being attacked by these guys. And then in one long continuous shot, it shows him like taking out all these dudes. And in my opinion, it looks really, really fake. I just think that like when you see these kind of things with virtual cameras, like the brain understands that it's not real and that's, it just doesn't feel as that's exactly that's what me. happened in matrix reloaded too also yes, because the cg I, wasn't good but like yeah matrix reloaded we looked at the burly brawl we were like no yeah no thank you i mean that was because yeah, the, yeah part of that was because you know the the agent smiths didn't look real but yeah, yeah i i but that's what i'm saying it's like i just think it sounds better in theory than it actually like when they people actually attempt it it just doesn't feel as good yeah, but yeah I, hey, I respect that you have your I, own. I want to see it too. Yeah. Like I want to see what the next generation of action filmmaking looks like, like what we could do with completely virtual cameras. Certainly too. Um, we kind of saw a bit of that in Alita, honestly, like the way oh, yeah. the camera moved in Alita, it was very anime esque. And 
it used was. 3D very well. I really, I'm going to rewatch that movie. So there you I, go. There's I would actually agree. Yeah. Javinger, you've given two great examples, actually, of this, which is like Kung I spent way too much time thinking about this stuff. You know, Alita. like, so, got to use it. Maybe maybe the true answer lies between, but Jeff, but Jeff, I don't want to invalidate what you're looking for. Yeah, I yeah, just yeah. feel like my personal preference is, you know. Uh, I, I think it's a yeah. fair point you're making. I, I think we're perhaps arguing on uh, execution. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm saying that there's a way to execute yes. on that that isn't true. bad. <laughs> true. No, <laughs> you know? no, I think you're right. I, you know, to reconsider, I think you're right. And I think Devinger brought up some good examples of when it isn't bad, but maybe it's just really hard to get right. Right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, uh, I think I share all of your thoughts on, on these, this movie. I think like overall, I liked it, you know, uh, HT, I've already shared some of my concerns with the movie, which is just like the problem with this movie is that I think like it uses Asian culture a little bit as window dressing. And it's not that I don't think it's disrespectful. Uh, it's just a missed opportunity, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, but I'm grateful that, uh, you know, I, was, I listened to your interview on, on uh, NPR. And here was my reaction to your interview as somebody who, uh, is also an Asian American <laughs> and has been reviewing movies for a while, which is, man, it's so great that we can even complain about this. Yeah, this is a great conversation <laughs> to have. Yeah. Which is, it's, a step it's, just, it's great that we can even complain about this because, because it means that there is like multiple different versions of Asian representation now in movies mm-hmm. and you can evaluate them against each other now. And uh, this one, it's like, hey, it's lacking in these regards. It's lacking in representation. It's lacking in terms of thematic resonance. Um, but then you have a movie like Moana or Crazy Rich Asians or whatever where uh, it's not the same. And it's like, hey, these these movies do uh, do a better job of honoring their source material or the cultures that inspired them. And, uh, and so uh, not to minimize anything you're saying, just like. Uh, my reaction was not yet yeah, like, yeah, go get him HT. Like this movie sucks. You know, it was like, you know, I'm just glad that uh, we actually have options these days. You know, yeah, I um, mean, I'm also not out to, you know, tank Raya and the last dragon. I <laughs> enjoyed it more than I, my mixed reaction probably, uh, t- probably shows because I think it's, I, I did think it was a really fun movie. I did get emotional over the big climax and its themes of trust. And I did love the visuals and especially the action, but uh, I have, you know, my own criticisms of it that stem from a very personal place. And um, if people, I'm glad, I'm it's fine if people don't also see, uh, don't also have that um, same reaction to it because we're all, we all react to movies in different ways. Yeah, I just I want mean, to be on record and say, I'm very glad it wasn't a musical. Yeah. Why is that? Why is that, Jeff? Just yeah. Uh, I, I, I've had enough of those for a while. Wow. Oh, I, <laughs> I'm still always pro Disney musical. I always my own. I have my like, qualms with Disney non musicals because I feel like they try to go too hard in mm-hmm. that self effacing kind of. Uh, smug humor that always really puts me off and doesn't make doesn't feel like you know Disney to me I mean we all have our own different definitions of Disney but I just never really enjoy that kind of humor that comes from non-Disney musical movies and I associate with like with it being non-musical but maybe it's just the kind of comedy that's in animated movies these days and I'm now I'm getting old yeah if you have Aquafina in your movie you're uh you're a certain new generation of comedy yeah should we do spoilers, guys? What do you, what do you think? Do sure. we need to talk yeah, about spoilers? Sure. Okay, let's sure. do spoilers for Ryan the Last Dragon starting right now. Now 
you're looking for the secret. You're going to see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. Well, guys, this week I watched a movie that showed a fictional country that was a mishmash of different countries from the region it's supposed to be uh, based off of. And it featured a hero with a large blue magical friend who spends most of the movie pretending to be human, only at the end of the day for the protagonist to realize that they have the power to free that friend from their true task and uh, and help them to self-actualize. But enough about Aladdin. Let's talk about Ryan well Last Dragon. I, just, yeah, I, I think I, that was I, a little of a stretch, Dave. First of all, how, how dare, dare you? you? <laughs> yeah, the, the entire um, premise is 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 too stretch. Do <laughs> I go to your place of work and tell you that you're stretching too far, HD? <laughs> um, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, you did critique her NPR performance. Yes. I mean, um, you didn't I, say you that, go yeah. HT. You she said. Was a guest hmm. there. Uh, I mean, that, that, first of all, that's a stretch. Secondly, also fair. Um, but uh, anyway, also, let me just say I wrote that during the uh, segment, like, during the review segment, because uh, you got you said Aladdin. I was like, oh, yeah, there are some similarities. Yeah, so yeah. I put that, you know, it's not my best. It's not my best, okay? <laughs> it's not my, you guys are right. I really you thought you were right. going to go for an Avatar The Last Airbender one because, no. yeah. No. No. That would require me to have seen that yes. show. Yeah, that's true. Yes, okay. How could, oh, dude, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so See, that's more offensive to me than Firefly, frankly. But yeah, no, it's all I offensive. Agree. It's okay. It's, <laughs> it's all offensive. Um, so uh, thoughts on the? I will say that the ending when she uh, brings her father back to life is very powerful. The idea it's basically like the snap is what happened, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. these people are frozen, and they miss out on six years of life. Yeah. And you're uh, welcome and they, on getting your dad six extra years at the end of his life that you wouldn't have had him around for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's powerful anyway, stuff. it's 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 powerful scene because also like we're living in a time right now where it's where we're not seeing our loved ones for a yeah. long period of time, right? and so there's a special resonance that probably they didn't plan for there. Uh, the 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 look of how that happens, how they turn to stone and assume the same pose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've yeah, like never so, seen that before. It is haunting. In a way. Yes. Yeah. It, 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 like, of course you just assume every other movie that you've ever seen someone turn to stone where they just turn to stone in the exact position they were before they were right. stone. The, the fact that this movie like forces them into the same position, brilliant and haunting. Uh, it stays with me and is such an incredible idea i think mm-hmm. agreed any other thoughts on the ending ht what'd you think uh, H- how'd you feel about the trust was in you all along as a solution for the for the problems i actually i was on board for it because you know i'm i'm a i'm a cheesy disney fan um and i know that a lot of people took issue with this and with this kind of theme and this ending because it's not realistic in our current environment and our world we know that people aren't trustworthy and some people just don't deserve forgiveness but in the in the arc of this movie and in the arc of raya who is just so immaculately performed by Kelly Mutran. I I've 
more to say about Kelly Marie Tran's performance as Raya and Raya as a character because I absolutely love her and how she's allowed to be flawed and angry and all those things. Um, and having all those flaws and anger and being able to bring out trust, I think, is such a brave a brave notion and an idealistic notion for sure. Um, and the way that it plays out with all of those characters sacrificing themselves, first Boone um, just hugging Raya as if she's a surrogate mother and then everyone else assuming their poses around her. Also, not completely going into the subju- subjugation pose. They're all kind of frozen yeah. as is, which I thought was yeah. really interesting. And then Namari just kind of cornered and um, <laughs> finally giving into that trust. And it's something that was I felt was really earned throughout the entire film because we do see Namari sharing that same reverence, that awe for dragons mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. Raya had. She's the one who gave Raya the the brooch. And she's the one who, when uh, Sisu came out and snarled at her, was just, just dropped everything in awe. And I think that that idea of still believing in the majesty of something greater and that great, that magic of the world and putting your trust and faith in that is a really wonderful and very Disney and very optimistic message, but one that really hit me hard, especially with that, um, that's that big climax and the scene of everyone turning to stone. It, I, I have to say it did bring a tear to my eye and I, I was really, really moved by it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it it's cool too structurally how, everyone that they meet as an antagonist becomes part of their team. Yeah. Like a found family sort of unit. Yeah. But it's, but it, it, I think I love the found family element of it, but it's not just even that it's, they meet all of them as obstacles. There are, they are people that are actively working against them and then they absorb them into the family. That's very much the, uh, the dragon ball kind of sense of it like as an adventure <laughs> yeah. story like it a lot of anime that's the thing right you look at even like something like princess mononoke like you may disagree with people you may fight but uh a lot of times you end up working together i appreciate that in a disney movie yeah let's talk briefly about kelly marie tran um this is a woman who received a big break when she was cast in the last jedi uh and uh, kind of played a lovely role in that film of uh, kind of like a a fangirl, you know, in some ways. She was kind of an audience surrogate in a lot of ways in that movie uh, and then was hounded off of the internet by online cyberbullies uh, and then shafted by the series itself. She was given one minute and 16 seconds of screen time in Rise of Skywalker. Mm. Um, so... It felt like a really stark rise and fall. And I was honestly worried we wouldn't see her in a high profile mm-hmm, release again. Mm-hmm. It was lovely to see her in this film. I thought she did a great job. HT, you had a chance to talk to her. Um, your reflections on talking with her and her performance here? Uh, well, talking to her was just lovely. She also greeted me in, in Vietnamese. She's Vietnamese American too, uh, which I did not understand because I don't speak Vietnamese, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. But um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we had a really short but sweet conversation, and um, she spoke about you know taking on the role of Raya and sort of using her own experiences to inform the character. And I think that you feel a lot of her in in the character of Raya, who is you know a war a lone warrior character who starts to learn to embrace other people and you know trust and everything like that. Um, but I I feel like there's an anger in Raya that you see so rarely in a Disney 
protagonist, uh, especially a female protagonist at that. And I, I, I don't know if that was Kelly Marie Tran's doing, but she really went all out in displaying mm-hmm. the the anger and the ferocity and um, the bitterness of this character, which I think was just yes, yeah, so refreshing to see in a quote unquote Disney princess. And um, when she goes into her big climactic battle scene with Namari, uh, Kelly Marie Tran out, like screams this sort of guttural sc- scream, and uh, it's it's fantastic. It's like it's a great piece of voice acting that um, I was really impressed by Kelly Marie Tran for. It's not always an easy transition for live action actors to go into um, animated voice role voice, mm-hmm. voice work, and I think she does a phenomenal job. She has a fun time with the sort of more snarky parts of Raya, but she also uh, really lays into the emotion of the character, which I absolutely enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. I think one bit of her performance that's really interesting too. She's talked about in interviews that she kind of imagined a romantic relationship Mm. with Namari. And I feel like, first of all, that would have been even more interesting to be honest, but I feel like Disney's quite not there yet. Um, what did we get the, in the only in, the MCU? in DreamWorks? Do you get dragons fucking? You know, like it's not not <laughs> well, something no, no, Disney's no, no, ready for. No, no, not with the dragon. Oh, no, no, the sorry. <laughs> sorry, I got what are you? Wow, <laughs> did you We're watch this movie? So, wait, you need to go into your search history now, Dave. Uh, <laughs> the screener is going to be like half watched. <laughs> One part rewound over and over again about yeah. who Namari. I apologize. That's my bad. It's okay. It's okay. My bad. But I really I like that aspect of what she kind of brought into that performance too. Cause I feel like you could kind of feel like there, she thought about more about their relationship than maybe is even in the script. I also really like Namari as a character voiced by uh, Gemma Chan. Um, her design is interesting too. Cause she is, she's, she's buff. She's kind of buff in a way uh, we don't normally yeah. get to see women in these movies. I know Moana had muscles, and there were articles about Moana having muscles. But oh, I forgot about Nam- that. Yeah, yeah. Namari is like buff in a way that's like, oh, she has upper body strength. You know, that she actually her reminded core me of strong. The Last of Us Part Two. Yes, yes, exactly. Like, oh, the, like, yeah. yes, exactly. Yep. Like that character. I kind of appreciate that. Uh, I, I do have a dream world of like, yeah, where we could have the mature, slight, just slightly more mature, even like YA level story their, between them. Their relationship yeah. kind of plays out like a romance, though, because yes. you, yes. when we have them meet as children, they have they have similar interests and they instantly bond and they share gifts with each other and they think that they can. They are the ones that can re- unite all of the fractured t- tribes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they, the betrayal too feels something feels like something out of in another Disney movie might have been a romance, mm-hmm. and um, it's that tension between them and that that kind of long standing relationship that they've had uh, feels romantic in a in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I have to say, there, I, there are several points in this movie where you're like, just just kiss, yes, like you just guys just kiss. really just kiss. all the tension, yeah. all the heat is coming out. Um, but yeah, I, I have to say, I also really appreciate that the central three characters of this movie are all women. Because mm-hmm. you have uh, Raya, you have Namari, and then you have Sisu, played by Aquafina, who is a dragon, but is also a, a woman, at uh, a young girl. I don't know. <laughs> I just want to say I did watch the movie, and I'm sorry I confused Namari with Sisu. I am, I'm just still <laughs> no, in no, shock I, over here. I you agree with you, You can make it up you, by Dave. watching Avatar Last Airbender. <laughs> yeah, you could. I, I agree with you. There should have been more dragon fucking. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's, that's where I was going, and I appreciate you picking up what I was putting down. Anyway... 
Sorry, go ahead, HD. Do you have any other thoughts? Uh, no. There's one takeaway from this review. <laughs> it's that Dave thinks there should have been more dragon fucking. All right, on that note, <laughs> I think we can wrap this up. Um, thanks so much for listening. That's what she said. Uh, okay. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Slash Filmcast. And I'm so sorry. Um, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarlock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from YouTuber Kyle Hillinger. Check out his YouTube channel. Uh, our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Uh, HT, just wanted to say again, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate you putting up with us for uh, a couple hours. It means Yay. a lot. Oh, it's Thank always you. a pleasure, Thank guys. Thank you. Thank you. Check out HT's appearance on NPR as well as Trekking Through Time and Space, her podcast about Star Trek and Doctor Who. Next week on this podcast, we are going to be discussing Zack Snyder's Justice League. What? Yep. Of course. Yeah. Yep. The podcast will be four hours long. Yep, that's that's the thing that's going to happen. <laughs> so prepare yourselves, ladies prepare, and gentlemen. Prepare. I mean, <laughs> Jeff, on a scale of one to ten, how much are you looking forward to this movie? I am. I'm not looking forward to this movie. <laughs> I, Negative it is a, five. It is yeah. an. It is a. Yeah, it is a one. It is. But don't, uh, but don't you think it might be better than the original Justice League? Like, isn't isn't that like potentially interesting? Right. Yeah. Longer. I better. guess it is potentially yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Potentially interesting. I, I. I. You know what? I would love to have my my one on that scale be the perfect number to be pleasantly surprised and come out of that going, oh my god, he pulled it off. He made. He made it awesome. I would love to say that if I had to bet as to whether I will be saying that the odds aren't good. <laughs> uh, I, I would say, uh, here's what I have to say. You know, I, I ask the guys every week, like watch something in addition to the main review so we can have a, a nice, healthy, what we've been watching segment. I would still like us to all do that. But next week is one week when I will actually understand if the, what we've been watching is a little bit light. Yeah, because when you'll actually understand because I will also be rewatching original Justice League. Oh yeah, at some point. Okay. yeah. We should talk about that. Vindra, yeah, yeah. you are you are a glutton. I, I want to know this. I, I have a genuine question for you guys and, yeah. and HT you as well. If if you're going to be watching it, uh, I uh, will. Will you watch this movie in a single sitting? I'm gonna no. try. What? Well, I'm gonna try. I'm yeah, I can't I'm even watch a ninety minute You couldn't movie. even watch Jerry <laughs> all the way through. Yeah. Look, HT, you're really just, you know, cutting, cut, going for the throat tonight, HT. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to view it in the uh, in the format in which it was intended, which is to say yeah. projected four in a five story on couch. I, four yeah. hours projected on a four story uh, IMAX screen. You know, yeah. that's kind of the the goal that I'm going to do. How about you, Jeff? What's your plan? I intend to watch it in one sitting. I, I think I, I intend to. I don't know if I'm going where, to succeed. Where do you get those four hours? That's my question. After my family goes to sleep, <laughs> I will be up until two o'clock in the morning watching this. No, I this. think the, the great introduction to superhero movies for your kids is Zack Snyder's yeah. Justice League. Uh, I'll give oh, yeah. them really something to feel good about the world. You know, Justice League. Yeah. Take a good look at Superman's son. <laughs> He's a weapon. He's a weapon. I mean, if there's even a 1% chance that he might turn against us, we have to treat it like an absolute certainty, guys. Yeah. Oh, man. We will talk about there have been several interviews with him, too. And yeah, yeah, yeah. his dreams of making Superman fully anti-human. 
which oh man anyway next week next week on the slash Jumpcast justice league i think there's going to be a great guest for that one as well look forward to it we'll see you next time on the slash Jumpcast.